0: hey everyone scott hansen here from nfl red zone i hope you're checking out one hour of five yard rush one of the best podcasts on nfl football in the uk
2: hey what's happening rush nation here we are thursday night before the super bowl we are getting to the point now where after this show and after after sunday slash monday there's no more football for eight months so uh take it all in enjoy it as much as possible i know i'm going to be i'm sure there are many others that are going to be enjoying it as well but um stocks is running a bit late we hope he will come along in a bit but don't worry i'm not alone you don't have to listen to me dribble on for the next hour uh, i have brought with me a phenomenal guest if you've been listening to us at any point over the last six seven years um you will recognize this brilliant gentleman he is the managing editor of fantasy pros and betting pros and he is an aaron rogers i guess apologist is that a fair announcement or?
0: <laughs> uh, Well, I mean, I, I do think he is one of the best quarterbacks of all time, Murph. But as far as, uh, you know, his, his personal <laughs> beliefs and stuff, no, I'm not going <laughs> to take any responsibility for that. So.
2: But it's Pat Morris. Here he is. He's back again. It's good to have it. It's been too long. I'm so glad you're back. And you're here for a milestone, my friend. This is episode number 800 of the five. Oh, wow. Broadcast. So happy anniversary. Thank you. I, uh didn't really realise it was eight hundred until about an hour ago. So, um, but it was just getting me I was like, wow, eight hundred shows. More uh evening, afternoon, Stacey, afternoon. Uh, just doing the time difference in my head. So yeah, um, but it's good to how are you doing? How are things? Uh how are things with you? Uh what's been going on uh since you've last been on, really?
0: doing well murph uh always great to catch up with you thank you very much for having me on and just looking forward to the culmination of the 2023 NFL season um big game ahead and so you know we've always got a lot cooking at fantasy pros and betting pros betting pros were all over the the betting aspects of the super bowl from every conceivable angle and uh you know like maybe less to do on the fantasy pro side now that um the regular season is over you'd think that but we're very much readying ourselves uh, for the NFL draft already. Just had the senior bowl this week, as you know. So mm-hmm. had uh, three of our guys down in, in Mobile, Alabama for that. And, uh, you know, like I've already got re- rookie rankings up. I've got my 24 draft rankings up. So there is no such thing as an offseason, Murph. As you know, I have to ask them, Murph, I'm curious about this, since the Super Bowl um, in, in Greenwich time is going to be what, after 11 p.m.? Yeah. kick off like so how do you how do you play that i mean it's a big eating and drinking event here in the united states you know we we don't need many excuses to overindulge in food and alcohol but uh how how do you play that over in england i'll be honest
2: with you it really depends on the game so uh, a lot of it depends on game and the um day job work schedule so This year is going to be a bit of a damp squid for me. I'm actually going to go to bed, and then I'm going to wake up and watch the game and turn off my notifications, and I'm going to wake up and watch the whole thing at about 4.30 a.m. So the game would have ended probably about an hour before, and then I'm going to watch it through then. Um, I think if it was a slightly different outcome, I might have done it slightly differently, and there's no disrespect to the teams that are in it, um, but I, I find it slightly harder to justify taking a day's annual leave for 49ers Chiefs, which we've seen this before. Um, So, yeah, I, I but, I mean, I've done it different ways. The pandemic was the worst because I watched Tampa win a Super Bowl in the pandemic, and we did it – I did it literally watching the game in my front room on my own, <laughs> and that was – it was great because there was no sweat on the game but at the same point was quite miserable what i do have as a family tradition though i rope my um in well my sister-in-law brother-in-law and their kids they're now 17 and 15 my um, niece and nephew so i rope them around, and we do and they're not into football but i rope them into it um i've got tons of tampa jersey so everyone wears a jersey and we do a barbecue and we get all the food out and we kind of do As you would do it before the game, we do it miles before the game. And I'm doing it with a bunch of people that have no skin in the outcome. They just like the food. (laughs) (laughs) But it's my way of doing it. But I've done it in the past where we've got um, some of the communities together. And we've gone to a bar in London. And we've gone and watched it. Um, I've stayed over. I've got the first train back home and then slept in my own bed and and gone to bed. Because it finishes around about half three, four o'clock. And the first train off the base is at five. So if you can just sort of stay around long enough, uh, it's not too bad. And then you don't have to pay for the hotel room. You get the first train home and sleep in your home. So uh, yeah, I mean, I know lots of people do it a lot of different ways here in the UK. Most people will stay up and, and do a gathering. Most people go to a bar if they can, if there's one near them that are showing the game. Um, but I know those people that that just watch it quietly. And I think it's, it will. A lot of it depends. I think if you get a Lions, if you get a really popular team in there, I think you'll see different, uh, different ways that people celebrate. I think the feeling across the community that I'm in is kind of seen this one before. It's it's it's. I think it's a bit quieter than it would be most years here.
0: Yeah, sensible approach you're taking, Murph, <laughs> uh, to get get a good night's sleep and then wake up early and you know catch it with your your coffee and breakfast.
2: That's it. And it's not a bad way. That's sometimes how that's how I do Sunday night football in the regular season. And uh even if the Bucks play most of the time, not all the time. If it's a big game, I'll try and stay up and and sure. all the work schedule. But uh yeah, I tend to, that's how I tend to do Sunday night football. It starts about 1:25 here. So uh yeah, I'll go to bed and then I'll wake up and just watch it then. And it's it's a nice way of doing it because I can flip through the rubbish and get the whole game and and I kind of get the best of both worlds that way. So, yeah, it's not bad. What about you? What do you have a Super Bowl tradition with the family, Pat? I really don't. I mean,
0: it's it all depends, you know. Sometimes uh, I've uh, gone and met my dad to watch the Super Bowl with him and and some friends. He used to have a friend who had an annual party. Um then my son got a little older into the NFL, so I would stay home and watch with my son um now my son is going to be off at a friend's house watching the game with uh, like he's high school age so they have a get-together they have like a friend's party and uh my wife and daughter are going to be out of town so i think it's actually just going to be me and the dog watching (laughs) the game alone but uh that's perfectly fine with me i'll be very content uh you know no one to uh interrupt my enjoyment of the game so i'm sure I'll, i'll find something good to eat and uh there's going to be plenty of beer no doubt so uh it'll be a good time
2: i asked this question of everybody right so i'm one of these people that as a supporter of an nfc team like you are i tend to not want the nfc team to win unless it's my team are you of a similar ilk or because they're not a divisional rival you're less bothered and actually you'd be quite happy with a san francisco 49er
0: well, it's interesting, Murph. Um, so I have a bit of a bias toward the chiefs because my dad used to live in Kansas city okay. and I'm very fond of, of Kansas city. Love that town. It's a, a jewel, an American jewel. Um, so I've always had a soft spot for the chiefs, but at the same time, I'm, I'm betting on the 49ers this year. So, uh, my money will be rooting for the, the NFC team this time around. Um, but generally, I'm I'm not a fan of the Niners. Like they're they're one mm-hmm. of my uh, they don't quite come up to the level of the Minnesota Vikings as far as teams I hate, but um, not a team I'm typically very fond of. So considering that I'm putting some money down on them, I'll probably be pretty neutral in how I watch this game. Um, I've I've got conflicting interests, I guess you could say.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I'm I'm similar in the sense of the 49ers do have John Lynch. who's one of my all time favorite players as their GM. And it'd be nice to see him win one on the same token. They're the 49ers. I don't really like <laughs> NFC teams winning it when it's not, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> when it's not the buck. So actually I'd, I'd be all right with you. So I'm kind of like you, I'm conflicted, but uh, I don't really, you know, it, you No one wants to see a dynasty unless it's your own team. So it is a conflicting, oh. but I, I probably will be it, it, over here. It's amazing the sentiment towards the Chiefs now. Straw poll is quite negative because it's there's the whole Mahomes and his brother and his wife and the antics that go with that. We got the Taylor Swift thing, I'm not going to get into a whole Taylor Swift thing, but you know it doesn't play brilliantly in this country to absolutely everybody. I'm sure it doesn't in the US either. And then it's then it's the fact they four Super Bowls in the last five years. Could be winning their third ring. It's a bit boring. It's a bit samey. So I think the general feeling, and the other thing that goes against them here in public opinion is the UK really has two traditional teams that it roots for, like going way, way back to the 1980s. And it's the Miami Dolphins and the San Francisco 49ers. And there is a a subtlety of uh, Washington Commanders fans. And that's because they were the only teams that were ever Played on television here, so a lot of a lot of fans who grew up watching NFL in the 1980s will support the 49ers or the Dolphins, and then subsequently their children if it passes down through the generations. So there's a strong 49er contingent here in this country. So and I, I don't think there is as much one for um, the Chiefs. So it'd be interesting to see how it breaks down. Um, I'm going to ask you because you do work for betting pros, and I noticed that you did publish an article a few. Uh, days ago about props uh, for the Super Bowl. And I know a lot of our listeners will be down, doing some gambling on this. So do you have any props that you've got an eye on that you think could be good value for our listeners to make a little bit on a, on a game and make it interesting?
0: My favorite is probably Christian McCaffrey over... Um, and at last check, it was 128 and a half rushing and receiving yards combined. Okay. That's um, nice. Yeah, not not just rushing, uh, but, but like I think you could make a case for him having a big day rushing with the Chiefs. Uh, their run defense isn't great. They ranked 27th in, in DVOA, which is a pretty good metric against the run. Um, and McCaffrey, I think, has cleared. 90 rushing yards in like seven of his last eight games. And the only miss was in week 17 against Washington when he tweaked his calf and Mm -hmm. was taken out early. Um, He's also averaged like eight targets a game, Uh, wait 7.4 targets a game and almost 40 receiving yards over his last five games. So I think it makes sense that the 49ers don't want this to turn into a quarterback duel between Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy because they're outgunned in that area. So I I think it behooves them to get the ball into the hands of Christian McCaffrey as much as possible. Um, I actually bet the under on Patrick Mahomes passing yardage, which was uh, at last check somewhere around 260 and a half yards. Um, It just seemed, well, I mean, he's, uh, been dealing with this shortage of wide receiver firepower all year and uh, he's thrown for under 260 yards in four of his last five games I think the 49ers are maybe going to put some some heat on him with their pass rush Uh, let's see what else I've got Isaiah Pacheco over 65 and a half rushing yards because I think the Chiefs are going to want to be balanced offensively and it's maybe a little easier to run on the 49ers than it is to throw on them Aaron Jones had success against them in the uh, two weeks ago, the Lions running back combination teamed up for like 138 rushing yards. And then I have Debo Samuel, under 58 and a half receiving yards. Uh, Kansas City is a lot of the fourth fewest receiving yards to mm-hmm. so wide receivers. They have three really good cornerbacks, LeJarius Sneed, Trent McDelfie, mm-hmm. Joshua Williams. They've all given up under a yard per run into their coverage, uh, and and Debo has failed to Top that number in five of his last six games. I also have a fun one, Murph. I've got uh lo- I think Brandon Ayuk to have a reception of 50 yards or longer, and it pays seven to one odds Ooh. on that. Um and there's actually some reasoning behind that one. The the blitz the Chiefs blitz at a very high rate, one of the highest rates in the league. And um strangely, like Brock Purdy has been maybe the best quarterback in the league against the blitz this season, like his passer rating and other numbers have gone way up. And his most frequently targeted wide receiver when teams blitz him is Brandon Ayuk, and normally at a pretty deep, uh, target depth. So like, I, I think there might be a big play in there for Brandon Ayuk this, uh, this Sunday we'll see about that. If, if it happens, I'll be pretty happy with those odds. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I like that. You've kind of seen the game very similar to how I've seen it. I think you're not going to beat the Chiefs on the perimeter. You're not going to beat them too much with the deep ball, but like you say, maybe the odd play that you've mentioned kind of makes a lot of sense. Um I think a lot of this game is going to be played through the middle effectively, not just with the run, but I think you're going to see both tight ends get a lot of action in this game. I think you're going to see Lots of incremental games, maybe instead of those really big splashy plays. And I think it's going to be who executes that game plan across the middle. And I think it really, this game comes down to who's going to be the most penetrative in the red zone. Who is actually going to, when they get down there, be the most efficient? And I think that's where this game gets decided. It gets decided in the red zone because both these teams can move the ball. Both these teams have got weapons. I think it is just purely a case of we think, I think it's going to go a lot sort of you know, in between the numbers, I think it's gonna stay pretty much in the middle of the field. And I think it's just about who who executes better in the big moments. And I think it'll be a close game. I don't think that you're gonna see a blowout. I think it's gonna be a one-score game and it's about who handles it the best. And the 49ers in this situation four years ago were in a great position and they didn't manage the game well. Um one of the, probably the worst fourth quarter game management uh, sequences I've seen, they just got really pessimistic. They went away from what was giving them a lot of success against the Chiefs, and they played into the Chiefs' hands, and the Chiefs went and got them. So it'll be interesting this time round to see if the same happens. We have been
3: joined by Stocks. Stocks, hello. Hey, hey. Apologies for my top tardiness, Pat. How are you, my man? Doing great, Stocks. Uh-
0: Excellent that you could make it, Uh, you know, even though you're wearing a Broncos hat, I've uh, the Packers have played in five Super Bowls in their history. They're four and one. The one loss was to the Broncos. And of course, that was the one Super Bowl I've attended in person. So uh, (laughs) I'll I'll try not to take offense.
3: I I can I can only apologize on behalf of the Broncos for that performance. Well, we were
2: we were talking about last week, Pat, that the Broncos um, may be selling the naming rights to part of their stadium. Um, for uh, it, it was a long winded joke, but maybe we can get fantasy pros involved and we can have the fantasy pros east stand.
0: <laughs> that would be wonderful. I i would take that. I might even
2: have to cheer for the Broncos if that happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, Pats has gone through uh Super Bowl props. There's some really good ones in there. I do like the brand night one, I think that's unusual. I think if you can find it here on bet in bet makers, then uh, definitely get on that. Um, there were a couple of bits of news just away from the Super Bowl. Um, one was to see CJ Stroud win uh rookie of the season. I don't think that's a big shock or or surprise. Initial thoughts, gentlemen?
3: Wonderful. I, go ahead, yeah, go on, Pat. No, go on. I think you're going to say everything I was going to say, so you might <laughs> as well fire it out.
0: Yeah, wonderful choice. Um, fantastic season. And I think what was most impressive on his season, looking back, was when the Texans opened the year in September. They had, I believe, four of their five starting offensive linemen injured. Mm. And um, Stroud, nevertheless, went out and threw for 300 or more yards, I think, in three of his first four games. Like I thought he was going to get killed in his yeah. first month with uh, the decimated offensive line and it didn't bother him at all and he just hit the ground running from day one and was fantastic so I didn't turn the ball over either in those games right no nope. 100, zero
2: 51 zero attempts.
0: interceptions in those first four games yeah so incredible yeah, and, oh. and lowest interception rate of any quarterback this year yeah so
2: well deserved i think the Texans did a phenomenal job just to let him play and let him do what he wanted to do to get comfortable and i think that permeated through the rest of the team so a phenomenal job um, for him and well deserved uh, we'll see the rest of the awards come out in the next couple of days I don't think you're going to be shocked by too many of them but um, I think that one was definitely more than justified and you won't see too much backlash um, the other bit of news this was interesting this broke uh, overnight was uh, Baker Mayfield was on the K Adams show and after they finished recording they left the microphones on and so there is a discussion between Steve young and um, former Buccaneers quarterback, for those who don't know. He was drafted by the Buccaneers before he became a 49ers uh, legend. Um, And he is talking to uh, Baker, and he's like, you know, heck of a job this year. And Baker seems to confirm that he is coming back uh, to Tampa, and he's going to be making a career. Um, This also leads with with the Buccaneers announcing their new offensive coordinator, who is Baker's former offensive coordinator at the Rams, and the Buccaneers chose to release a video of the two of them catching up and on the offensive coordinator's first day, which is very unusual for that kind of media to come out about a quarterback who's no longer under contract with the franchise. Um, so everything points towards Baker coming back. Do we think this is a, a good move for the Bucks and for Baker based on what we've seen? Or do we think we've kind of seen the high-water mark with Baker and everything's going to come back crashing down the earth next year?
3: I think we we talked about it either last week or the week before, Murph, and how you thought Baker would be coming back after initially earlier in the season, thinking that you'd be going QB early on, and how the Buccaneers have sort of not solved the Baker equation, but certainly made it look a lot less difficult as a quarterback on a team. I mean, we've seen Baker capitulate in several places, and all of a sudden he's a bit more mature, seems to be leading the team, and this is all stuff you alluded to, and it just seems to be continuing in that motion where, it looks as if Tampa have, I don't want, want to say got their guy after having Tom Brady for a few years, but with Baker being comfortable in that, and now they've bought in the of, uh, the OC, it just it's all the pieces of the puzzle without officially putting them together, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I, you mentioned it earlier a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's it's all systems go.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think you can win with Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers did. They made the playoffs and almost beat the Lions, almost found themselves uh, facing the 49ers. So um, I think it's a good move because they're not really in a position to get a top quarterback in the draft this year and would have to pay a steep price to move up to do so. Uh, They have other needs they can address if they don't pick a, a quarterback in the first round. Um, there are other shots that they can take at quarterback if they want to later in the draft. Um, and like, I don't think free agency or a trade for a veteran would have been a solution. I mean, Justin Fields, he's going to require something in a trade and you would have to pay him a lot of money. Uh, cause he's whatever deal involves. Justin Fields is automatically going to involve a contract extension and why trade, why acquire someone like Russell Wilson, when Baker Mayfield played better than Russell Wilson this past season. So, like, I think it's a sensible move for them. Wouldn't be surprised at all if they spent uh, day two or day three pick on a lesser regarded quarterback prospect, mm. maybe Spencer Rattler or Michael Pratt, someone like that. Um, but uh, it seems to make a lot of sense for the Buccaneers to, to bring him back.
2: Yeah, I so I thought that. I agree everything you're saying. I'd like to see the contract. I'm fine with a three year deal. It's similar to a Geno Smith kind of deal that was done. That's heavily incentivized, that gives the Buccaneers some protection if things don't pan out. It is a new offensive coordinator. It is going to be, it could be without Mike Evans. We don't know. So, you know, you start changing things a little bit, how do things react? So, I'd like the Buccaneers to get a little bit ahead of this with the contract and have an ability to get out of it after one or two years without too much of a penalty so um and a lot of his contract this year was heavily incentivized and for baker mayfield that seemed to work you know he hit almost every one of his incentives so i think if you can get him on a decent base it's a big uplift on what he was on but with some really nice incentives where he can earn some top 5 top 7 in the league money if he hits those incentives that's a win win situation because if he hits them the buccaneers are winning and if he doesn't hit them then you've kind of saved yourself a, a load of money. So I think it's a, it'd be an interesting move. Um, happy to see it. I didn't think I'd say that 12 months ago because I was quite <laughs> livid when we, I was beyond livid when we signed him. But you know, I've, I've made my Baker Mayfield apology. I'm on board. So it's all good. Uh, although I did buy a jersey of a punter instead of a Mayfield jersey, and that is a bone of contention for some people. Um, <laughs> I just love Jake Kamado. What can I say? Um, let's talk about the real reason why Pat's here. Pat is an expert in running backs. Um, there's very few guys I trust better than, than, than Pat on on this subject. And we're going to do a series. We've talked about it in the last couple of weeks about looking at 2023, starting to dissect it from a fantasy perspective before we get into all the rookies and before we start looking forward and everyone likes to look forward and then don't do the retrospective. And, In my line of work in the day job, you do the retrospective. When you win or lose, you have to break it down. You have to see what was good, what was bad, what can we learn from. And the retrospective is really important. So we're doing it now. It's fresh in our minds. We're going to cover running backs. And for me, and I don't know about you two, I'm going to open this up for a general discussion before we get into this. I feel like we're at a crossroads of the position in fantasy football. And I feel like it's either going to go, heavy towards where we were five, six years ago, and we'll see the emergence of talented backs and position scarcity driving players up the board. Or we're going to see what we did 15 years ago, where running back, it was almost an afterthought in the draft because they're unreliable, not really big fantasy producers, barring a couple of players. And then you end up basically either taking a hit on the Damian Thompson, Priest Holmes, in this case, CMC, maybe Jonathan, <laughs> but effectively, and then you fade the position, and then you just pick him up late in hope. So, I open the floor to you. What are your thoughts on the running back position? Because I find, out of all the skill positions, it's the most interesting to dissect. Because I think if you get this strategy right, you'll you'll end up winning a lot of leagues or getting far in, in your playoffs. If you get it wrong. I think you get burned quite easily.
0: So I think um, I tend toward the latter scenario uh, that you painted, Murph. I, I think we are always going to see in any NFL season running backs who come out of obscurity to be major contributors. And I think like Kyron Williams was the perfect example of someone this year who won people leagues um, and was you know undrafted in a lot of fantasy mm-hmm. leagues or a very late round draft pick. Um, and and that sort of guides my annual strategy and running backs because wide receiver is the more predictable position. I would rather invest my early round capital in more predictable assets than in volatile assets and running backs tend to be more volatile assets. So I tend to load up on wide receivers in the earlier rounds and take shots at running backs later. Now that's not to say the early round draft strategy is always a a bad idea because the people who drafted Christian McCaffrey with the top three pick this year did quite well for the most part. A lot of championship rosters had Christian McCaffrey on them. So, um, but I, I, do think it pays to give yourself a chance to get lucky and find those running backs who inevitably come out of the fog every year to, um, become difference makers and uh we we saw a lot of pretty guys who were pretty cheap in drafts this year have major impacts not just Kyron Williams but Rashad White was very affordable going outside the top 25 Alvin Kamara who uh was dealing with the suspension and um that drove down his value Devon Achan who was a a later pick and had some really uh, impactful games so I think it's always going to be like that. And and um, taking some shots on later round guys is always going to make sense. And I do think it makes more sense to invest early in wide receivers and, you know, maybe anchor with that. I, I like the hero RB strategy, and I do think there are about, you know, eight or nine running backs worthy of going in the first two rounds. And that's usually the case. I looked at last year's ADPs and it was about 11 running backs in the top 30. And I think this year, it's going to be about 11 running backs in the top 30. Some of the names have changed, but um, my overall approach hasn't necessarily changed. I I kind of think it's going to be the same, but maybe with a just slightly different cast of characters.
2: I think that's interesting. I, I agree. And I always get to this point where we get to April and May and you do the best ball drafts and you're starting to see early ADP and you see this, and this has been true the last two years, especially with the amount of injuries at the position where you see running max faded. And then you get to June, July, and then especially August where you get the casual players. That was the word I was looking for. I don't want to say amateur because that's not fair. Um, casual players who play in a handful of leagues or just one. League. And you watch the ADP of those running backs shoot all the way up. So you'll get players that you were getting in the fourth round in June. You're paying a second round pick if you want them in um, uh, in, in August. And that seems to have been the trend the last couple of years. Um, I think Derek Henry was one of those players who was very, very cheap. Um, and I mean, he delivered where his ADP kind of was. Um, but you were getting him in the fourth round early, early summer. And you were paying a high second for him on almost name recognition um, come come the end of, of the season or end of draft season. So I I, I think you're right. But I, I guess it's just that, is there eight worthy? And I guess we'll go through all the different, segments and i'm keen to get stocks opinion on this do you do we i don't know if there is eight worthy players in the second round anymore or or better in in the running back position i mean it would depend on the rookies and their landing spots and the draft capital spent although i don't think this is an amazing running back class from early look i think there's some good players but i'm not seeing a top two round talent or even top three round if i'm honest it would have to depend on draft capital uh opportunity in camp maybe there's an injury to someone and they shoot to the top of the, the chart and there's no one behind them and that opinion might change but right now i don't see a top 3 i don't see a, i don't even see i don't even think i see a rookie running back in the top 50 overall adp in
3: in redraft this this year agreed Uh, You are right, and I'm not disagreeing, but we are talking about fantasy football, and we are talking about a rookie running back that is going to be the number one running back in the class, and it doesn't matter when you go back and look. At Mm -hmm. some point, there will be hype for that number one running back, and they will get thrust either into the early second or late first because they are the new shiny toy, and people want to get that end of round one value. There's nobody in this class that is that good, and there is nobody in the class that should be in round one contention, but there is that new running back shine. Mm. And as soon as Twitter gets hold of it, it it's <laughs> over. And it's very, it's easy for me to sit here and say that. And who knows, we might get who's going to come out this year that, that could prove that wrong at the land in exactly the right spot. The fact that I can't even think of it off the top of my head is a concern, not a concern, but it proves the point that you're making, Murph. But I don't want to sit here and say that there isn't going to happen because the whole hype train thing scares me in fantasy football at the minute. And we, we saw it this year with Bijan. And then you get players like Joe Mixon where the complete opposite happens. We draft him really late as a bit of an afterthought. And he's what a top five running back this year. So, yeah. I I don't think there is, but I think that definitely round two, somebody will sneak in and it will be like Jimmy Gibbs this year. We were a bit too high on him. Right. And I say, we, the community was a bit high on on Gibbs and yes, he had a good season, but did he surpass his ADP? I don't know off the top of my head. Was he, it was what round two is most expensive.
2: Yeah, he's an interesting one because the players that took him, because he did so well at the end of the season. So, I put I've broken into categories and I've put in the um. Where did I put him? I I taunted between putting him in like the outlier. I put him in the drafted high. Did okay, but actually, if you persisted with Jamar Gibbs, he probably won you. Or got you in contention in the playoffs. Because his end of season scoring was highly impressive. He was so off the pace at the start. But David Montgomery got a lot of the ball. There were some injuries. He never got... It took him a long time to get going. But when he got going, he was an RB1 last six weeks of the season. Eight weeks of the season. So he's a hard one to call that if you took him that high... And you persevered. If you weren't out of contention, he probably thrusted you back into contention at the tail end and probably justified his price. But over the whole body of work for the season, he wouldn't have done because he killed you those first eight weeks of the season where he didn't, he virtually got you any points. And that's the that's the sort of context that kind of needs to be paid. Because I think if a Jamal Gibbs owner was listening to this, I mean, well, I think he did great. And he did because your recency bias is, Last half of the season, he was phenomenal. But But if
3: you uh, but you look at the first seven weeks, he had um, a a terrible, terrible few weeks. Then he got injured, and you're thinking, "This isn't it." If how many people dropped him in those first seven weeks?
2: Yeah, and that's if you did that, you're really taking your hair out. You probably got him on the do not draft list this year. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) but yeah, it's it's definitely a fair point, and I think. I think this is why I love the running back discussion. Because I think Pat's right. There isn't a correct way to do this. I think there's a way to be more optimal to give yourself a better chance of success. Because if you remember, four or five years ago, I advocated for position scarcity. You had to take a running back early. Because the quality...
1: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: ...outside of the top eight, nine players, the drop-off was so significant. Then you needed to take one of those players to hold any kind of, not even advantage, just to kind of tread water. If you didn't get those players you were really struggling with your build to make the points up elsewhere because wide receivers were quite predictable and outside the top 24, it then really plateaus. And then unless you've got a really significant QB, you were struggling with your build. But now with all these injuries that are coming in, players in the top eight, I mean, I, I've broken this down. So the only players I'd say that you took at the top of the board that performed as a player that you took in the top eight, 10 of the position, the only three have got... Christian McCaffrey, of course, he absolutely obliterated the position. So if you took him, you were, as as Pat said, you were in good stuff. The only two players that that returned ADP for me that were taking the top two rounds were Travis Etienne, who was actually around three picks. So for me, easily justified his ADP. And Brees Hall, who was taken at the end of the second round. They were the only players for me that I think justified, and Brees Hall, you had to deal with the injury. But when he played on points per game, phenomenal he, he he was a a really good piece for you so I think it, it's harder now because your bus rate is over 50% of those players that were drafted in the top two rounds top three rounds because then so many of them like if we flip the conversation the players that were drafted high did okay so maybe you could scrape some sentiment of value was um Derek Henry, Bijan, who I'm not even going to say really did value, but he wasn't a complete bust. Gibbs, we've talked about. Saquon, who was the RB12, but really didn't look anything like the RB12. But you were drafting him as the RB3 or 4 or 5. And Tony Pollard, who at the end of the season, absolutely bombed. So he did okay through the body work, but he was the reverse Gibbs. In He started so well that he put you in a really great position from a, from a team perspective. But if you had him going into the playoffs, he killed you. He just didn't put up any, any noteworthy games till end of the season. So, And they were the ones that did okay. And then you look at the ones that were drafted high and busted. You've got... Um, I put Najee Harris. He was kind of on the cusp of the third, fourth round. Uh, uh, DeAndre Swift. Austin Eckler completely killed you. Uh, Josh Jacobs. Jonathan Taylor, mostly due to injuries. Um, and Ramadri Stevenson. So if you look at the bust rate of those players... It's over 50%. So there is a lot more, as, as Pat goes at the start, volatility at going high. It's a risky one because if you hit it, you're in great spot. You're, you're going to be building a strong championship roster. But if you miss, you to come back from that's hard. But then you won't be the only one coming back from it.
0: I think you could even make a case, Murph, that um, there were a couple of guys I think you counted as successes uh Brees Hall, Travis ETN, who ETN his productivity really fell off down the stretch mm, significantly. Absolutely. He was fantastic in the first half of the season, not, not so fantastic down the stretch. Um, and then Brees Hall, who took a while to get going. At first, they were managing his workload pretty vigilantly. And for a while, even after they said they weren't gonna manage his workload as carefully. Um, he just wasn't doing anything on the ground, mainly because his offensive line was terrible and, you know, no one was respecting the Jets quarterbacks. So um, now I, I do like Brees Hall a lot for 2024 and think, you know, what we saw at the end of the season is more of, of the Brees Hall we're going to get going forward. Um, but yeah, the, the bust rate in the in the earlier rounds with running backs last year was pretty high it was uh you know if you didn't get mccaffrey um it was it was hard to find other guys who re- gave you a satisfying return on investment
2: yeah yeah I, I, and i think that's it's definitely that's the case and i think it's hard in previous years we've always seen this group of 6 7 players that have been drafted high that have kind of hovered around and the last 2 years because of the amount of injuries that's not been the case you've had one or two separators at the position at the top of the board. And then everyone else has kind of been in this, this sort of pack. And then that's where that late round play comes in. guess my question would be, we're focusing a lot on redraft in a big tournament, cherry league, Scott fish ball, warrior ball, FFCC, best ball, or redraft leagues where it's a big competition. And you're talking 200 teams upwards in the scottish bowl it's going to be what nearly 4000 people this year so do you throw that caution out the window and gamble because of the fact of the risk is you you can't play safe in a tournament like that you're going to struggle to play safe in a, in a tournament and you almost have to get everything right to have a chance of winning or do you just go? It's just too much of a risk. I'd rather enjoy my tournament, try and pull along, get as far as I can, and see what happens.
0: I tend to go uh fade running backs early on in those leagues. And if okay. I do maybe maybe a hero RB build last year in the Scott Fishbowl, I took Bijan Robinson fairly early and then um laid back at running back, but um, you know, still did okay because I took Devon H in and uh I forget who else I came out with but um came out all right like made the made the playoffs didn't have any sort of deep run or anything but um yeah so you can take the early round running back approach just cuz it wasn't particularly successful in 2023 doesn't mean that will be so for 2024 um but like I I do think we're going to continue to see those uh late round surprises there will be rookies and and probably multiple rookies who run for a thousand yards, even though right now there is no consensus whatsoever about who the top rookie running back is. It could be any of like a half dozen guys. Like I, I think there is if you ran a poll with the top six names, I don't know if anyone would poll at more than 25 percent. Yeah. Um, so but there will be successful rookie running backs. It's inevitable. We know it. It's just hard to identify them right now. So I guess that's what we're going to be spending our spring and summer doing.
2: <laughs> I'm on Team Bucky Irving, so <laughs> very explosive. I just think I just think he could be fun. So, uh, but yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. We have had a question. And it kind of pivots away from what we're talking about, but it's it's still really pertinent here. Thoughts on Javante Williams in 2024 and Jaleel McLaughlin?
0: I suspect I'm going to have Javante Williams on some teams because it seems like um, the market is going to be a little bearish on him for 2024 after he disappointed in 2023, but he's going to be further removed from ACL surgery. And and that's a big thing. Like we saw Brees Hall take some time to uh, go back to being Brees Hall. And maybe we thought that sort of outburst was coming from Javante at some point this season, even if it was late in the year, didn't really happen, but um, based on what we saw from him early in his career and how explosive he could be and how difficult he was to tackle, I, I still think that player is in there somewhere, and, and maybe um, we'll see it next year once uh, you know the knee should be completely fine, no ill effects whatsoever. Um, McLaughlin's interesting, uh, good sleep, like an explosive player, but he did sort of seed work to, um, oh, why am I drawing a blank? Samaje P. Ryan yeah. later in the year. It was kind of strange. I, I thought maybe they were going to use him as their primary pass catching back. But Samaje P. sort of elbowed him out of that job um, in Denver. So I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of McLaughlin, an interesting late round flyer for sure. But I don't know if he'll be one of my favorite late round flyers.
3: Starks. We've also got, we've also got, we've got no idea what the uh, offense looks like in Denver at the moment. So it's really difficult to. Uh, I agree with what you say about the player in mean, Javante Pat, but if Russell's not there, which uh, at this point I've got no idea what's going on, and <laughs> there could be so much more else that happens with trades or players not being there. It could be Javante and Cortland Sutton, and and that's it. There's wide receivers on the roster that might not be there. They might Tim Patrick might come back and get injured again and he won't play. And I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't make a joke at somebody's <laughs> injury expense. But at this point, uh, the Tim Patrick experience is, is over for me, sadly. And yeah, I just think at this point in the season, before the current season has finished, it's, it's really difficult for me to comment on next year. But yeah, as a player... I love Javante and, and what he can do. I, I'm out on Javante Williams.
2: Pure and simple. Um, his price will have to be very low. I just don't trust Sean Payton. I don't <laughs> trust Sean. No, no, no. And, and look, it's an easy thing to say. When was the last time Sean Payton produced a thousand yard rusher? I don't think Kamara got there. I know he got there on scrimmage yards. But I don't think Kamara had a thousand yard rushing at any point. So I can't remember the last time Mark Ingram, maybe yeah, when it's... was
3: Sean Payton head coach of the saints. He was a little 10 years. I think
2: Mark, I think Mark Ingram, what six years ago, maybe
0: the thing is I, like, I think it's great to have a shot. Like Sean Payton has produced a lot of fantasy value for running backs, but it's usually been multiple running backs.
2: is Right. And that's, that's why I'm out is, is, it's not a talent issue. Javante Williams is still young. He's going to be 24. I haven't got a problem with the age profile. He's still got a lot of tread on the tires. It's not a skill ability. Um, and for me, that is a team that is very much in flight. It needs to be rebuilt. They ran the ball really poorly at times last year. I mean, Javante Williams averaged 3.6 yards a carry. um, And that's not entirely his fault. And I think... As you say, I think right now, the the way that I see that offense going is it will be built on the ground. His receiving set is okay. It's not brilliant. I think you're going to have different – I think you're going to see a rotation of backs there. I think you're going to see three backs. I think two of them will be fantasy relevant, but I don't see a high ceiling for Javonta Williams. I think if you're drafting him in the, the – if I had to draw a pin where I think he's going to go seventh, eighth round, I think his best outcome is he delivers at ADP. I don't see a ceiling play. So if I'm going to pick a running back in the seventh or eighth round, I want the Rashad Whites, the Brian Robinson Juniors, the path to a ceiling, and that's why I can't. I just can't get involved in Javonta Williams. It's not a slight on the player. It's I don't see the ceiling in, in the range that he's going in. You're going to have players that will probably finish below him but have that opportunity if things break right to finish higher than him. If you call a situation right, like we spoke quite a lot on the Washington commanders and we were very in on Brian Robinson Jr. We saw a clear pathway for him being the lead back and him having a big opportunity. And if you call those situations right, they're the players are more invested in in that sort of range. And obviously it depends where you go. If you Jordan Williams falls into double digit rounds, I'll, I'll have a squid. I'll have a play on it, but I don't think he does because I think he's got too much love. I think he's he is a player. He's a hype player that people are interested in. So,
3: just interesting. Sorry, Murph. I've just been looking up New Orleans running backs. Interesting fact: Kamara has never been over a thousand yards rushing. No,
2: that's what I mean. I, don't, I never thought he'd been over a thousand yard rushing. That's why I think Mark Ingram was the last.
3: Yeah, the he last had back to back seasons in sixteen seventeen, and he just squeaked over. Yeah. So So I I
2: remember 16. I didn't know 17, but okay. But that's the seven years. That's, and I just don't see it. That's the scheme that he runs. I just don't see, I don't see the ceiling for Toronto Williams. If he was going to get, you know, 80 targets a season, I'll change my opinion, but I don't see it.
0: Yeah. And that's fair. I mean, he does. I, I like that Javante Williams can catch passes, but um, you're right. Like we have seen running backs be valuable in Sean Payton's offense, but it's just usually a, a split and it's multiple guys being fantasy relevant in his thing. He's kind of Payton is sort of the anti Sean McVay who likes to put it all on one player, mm. which we, we've seen from players ranging from Todd Gurley to um, Daryl Henderson for a while. And, uh, you know, now Kyron Williams, who, again, a, a lightly regarded NFL prospect who wound up immensely valuable in fantasy football this past year.
2: Absolutely. And likely to do the same again this year. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are. I want to talk about, there's a group of players that I do want to talk around. I think it is an interesting group to talk about. And this is the, the, the players that were drafted fairly highly last year, but. Busted at a significant rate for all different reasons. Why? Why they busted? Right. So, Najee Harris, DeAndre Swift, Austin Eckler, Josh Jacobs, um, Jonathan Taylor, and Ramadre Stevenson. Is there anyone there you like want to dig into and think what their outcomes going to be for for next year in terms of up or down? Are there players on that list you think? I don't want to touch from a barge pole, the players that you think actually for the right price, I'll get involved in. Or do you, is there any players you think there that might be high regardless of how bad it was this season for them?
0: Six uh, players were on that list, Murph. I've actually got four of those six in my top 20. And okay. uh, not, Najee is at RB 27. So he's not far off. Eckler is really the only one I just want no piece of anymore. Um, I can make a sales pitch for Jonathan Taylor pretty easily. I mean, this is a guy who did uh lead the NFL in rushing a, a few seasons ago and um it was pretty productive on a per game basis this past year. Obviously, like the off season was traumatic with his um I don't know, sort of mutual animosity with the team for a while and then he opens the season on IR. Um But I'm excited to see what that could look like next year with Anthony Richardson at quarterback doing read option things with Jonathan Taylor Um, because when you run read option stuff, like linebackers have to freeze a split second because when Anthony Richardson puts it in Jonathan Taylor's breadbasket, you don't know if he's actually handing off or if he's going to pull it out and run himself. So um, we saw that sort of dynamic spike the value of Alfred Morris in Robert Griffin III's rookie season, like Alfred Morris, I don't think anyone regards as a, a very talented running back. I think Alfred Morris had like almost eighteen hundred rushing yards and averaged mm. over five yards per carry that season, and yeah, scored a you know bushel full of touchdowns. I think Taylor could be um, immensely valuable next year. Like I think I've got him at running back six, and I like I could make a case for putting him ahead of Kyron Williams even.
2: Yeah. Next season. I'm with you. I'm hundred percent there with you because the, the secret source there is Shane Steichen. I think for me, Shane Steichen is, is a very, very talented um well, he was a very talented offensive coordinator. He, he had a very good season as head coach. I I for everything he had to deal with, to get the Colts into the position where they were player viable two weeks to go, I think is phenomenal with all the Jonathan Taylor thing and all that news. Losing your quarterback, you're playing Gardner I mean, Jew. He's not a bad quarterback, don't get me wrong, but the guy's a sixth-round pick for a reason. And all the multiple injuries, uh, injuries on the offensive line, and to manage all of that to where they got to. I think uh I think I'm right there with you with Jonathan Taylor. And and then the biggest case study to Shane Steichen is the name on this list, is DeAndre Swift. He turned DeAndre Swift into a, a very significant fantasy weapon, but it, it just Hit the best seasons of DeAndre Swift's career came under the coaching of, of Shane Steichen. And we saw DeAndre Swift heavily regress under Brian Johnson this year. And yeah, there was some health issues and the offense stagnated and all of that. But even at his peak, DeAndre Swift didn't look half the player with Shane Steichen gone in that offense. And I think Jonathan Taylor is 10, I won't say 10 times the player, but I think he's significantly better than DeAndre <laughs> Swift. Um, I think if you get a season where he is healthy, with Shane Steichen, with read options, yeah, I I I could if, if someone told me right now Jonathan Taylor would be pushing for the for the running back one overall next season, I wouldn't dispute it. Uh I'm right there with you.
0: Yeah, an immensely talented player. Like I'm I'm excited to see how that works next year with him and Anthony Richardson playing together because I that that was the one thing that left me feeling cheated in 2023 that we didn't get to see any of those two play together.
2: Yeah, that was uh definitely robbery. And also he went to the same university that you did. So
0: that's <laughs> right. Working. Very true, very true. And uh we've we've got another big running back coming out this year, uh Braylon Allen, who mm. people are gonna be I think there's gonna be a bit of a frenzy for him when he weighs in at the combine at around 240 pounds and probably runs something around a four or five. Uh, I think people are going to get pretty excited about him. Yeah, he moves pretty well for a a big guy.
2: Yeah, I love that. Um, Let's look at, just quickly, because I know you've got to go in a couple of minutes. I want to talk about the outliers, because I think this is the the really interesting group that people won't really know what to do with. And it's Devon A. Chan, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Jalen Warren, and Nick Chubb. What do we think about their prospects as a group or individuals going forward for next season and maybe beyond?
0: I don't think I'm going to be drafting any of J.K. Dobbins, Nick Chubb, or Gus Edwards. I mean, I, Gus Edwards is just kind of a—it's a, a role thing, and he has to be scoring touchdowns to provide fantasy value. And you know, touchdowns are hard to predict, and I just don't like leaning into those guys who don't have the yardage behind it. Um And with Dobbins and Nick Chubb, I just don't want to fall into the trap of injury optimism. I mean, Chubb's injury was so devastating. Like we're talking about the slow recovery for Javante Williams, who, uh, you know, Mm. like, I don't think his injury was nearly as severe as Chubb's. And, um, you know, the the people who are drafting Chubb in the fourth or fifth round, I just, I think that's wildly optimistic. And I I think he probably starts the season on pop and, Automatically misses six games early on, and J.K. Dobbins has just shown a complete inability to stay healthy. So um, I don't know that we should be expecting it to happen this time. But I'm pretty excited about HN. Uh, I I know he dealt with some injuries too, and I don't think we've really seen his usage stabilize. Like it it sort of bounced around all over the place last season. But the good thing is he is so explosive that he doesn't need a lot of touches to uh, pay off in a big way. Just get him 10 carries and five targets a game. And I think he's going to be a top 15 running back in terms of fantasy output, maybe better than that. I mean, he's just so, so fast and has such remarkable contact balance for a smaller back. I mean, it's Mm. just, I've, I've seen so many times, both, uh, in his rookie year in a Texas a where a tackler hit him and not only didn't take him down, but almost seemed to propel him faster in a different direction, <laughs> like uh, playing pinball and having the, uh, the ball hit a bumper and go rocketing off in a different direction. Like that's kind of what it's like to watch Devon Achan run sometimes. So really excited about him and uh Jalen Warren. Well, I mean, he's going to be getting the Arthur Smith experience. So I'm sure it's going to be a, a an unpredictable mix of Jalen Warren and Najee Harris. I'm not sure I'm going to want to invest in either with Arthur Smith calling the plays, but I I think they're probably both going to provide some fantasy value just in unpredictable ways.
2: I think that's fair. Um, Any final thoughts, Pat, before you have to leave us. And then on top of that, where can everybody find you interact with you and, and all the good work that you're doing over at fantasy pros?
0: Yeah, I think that's it. A a pretty good recap of running backs. I think a little bit top heavy, maybe a a clear top six or seven that we're excited Mm. about. Um, You know, then things start to get a little murky and I do think it's worth it for people to take some shots on some late rounders and some rookies. So, um, but yeah, we're doing a lot this week at betting pros for the Super Bowl, obviously. So I would check that out if you're, uh, you know, interested in, in, placing some wagers on Sunday and uh, you know, we're going to be doing stuff at fantasy pros all season. I know people have their rookie drafts in dynasty leagues that they're going to get excited about. Best ball rooms are going to be open in full in just a few days after the Super Bowl. I know underdog is already open. So uh, we're going to have all that content at fantasy pros. Just keep visiting and, and looking for the uh, the fire hose of content that we're going to be delivering.
2: Yeah. I've got five IDP articles I'm writing this month. Oh, nice. So. Outstanding. <laughs> yeah, Mike came to me and said, do you know, you wrote some good ones last year. Can you focus on IDP this month? I was like, yeah, do people read IDP content in February? But yeah, sure. They do. <laughs> they do, they do Murph. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been told. Um, but no, really appreciate it, Pat. I know you've got to run. And Stocks and I wrap up here. So appreciate the time as always. Can't wait to get back into it when uh, we're nearer the season. And uh, thanks as always for, for appearing. Murph stocks,
0: thanks for having me, guys. Always uh love joining my friends across the pond. You guys are wonderful and uh enjoy the Super Bowl.
2: Thanks, baby. You too. all the best, my friends.
3: Pat. Cheers. Bye. Oh. That was special. well I always enjoy having Pat on.
2: Love Pat. Um, you missed the start. This is episode number eight hundred, my friend.
1: Whoa.
3: Is, he, uh, is it really? Yeah. 800. That's quite a landmark. It is. I don't know how many pods get to 800. It's a huge number, really, when you think about it. Yeah.
2: Imagine if someone had listened to every single one.
3: There must be someone.
2: (laughs) I don't know. We'll see.
3: Um, I don't know, actually, because... You'd have to be an original OG, like listening yeah. when we were talking about our league. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> I wonder if someone ever did go back and listen to all of those. But um I didn't get your take on the Super Bowl. What are your thoughts? What are you doing for Super Bowl? Um anything you you're doing before we wrap this up?
3: Um, so I couldn't book the day off because it falls on Poxy half term. Uh, somebody had already booked the Monday off and We've got a we've got a pretty strict one off, no one else off policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't book the Monday off, so I'm going to try and go to bed early, wake up, watch as much as I can until I fall asleep, and then go to work. That's my that's my plan. I don't know, I don't know how much I will catch if I'm completely honest, but I'm gonna have my phone on, do not disturb, and then I'm gonna try and try and get through the day as much as I can without spoilers. I mean, it's it's practically impossible these days with how much I use my phone at work and stuff, but we will see. I, something that did annoy me in the, going into this week that I've seen is the Niners put a social media post of hashtag against all odds. I don't know if you've seen this, Murph. Have you seen this? No. Yeah, so the Niners put a social media post up and it was like dice and a few other things and it said against all odds we've made it to the Super Bowl. And yet, they have been bookies' favourites every week in the entire season, including this week. They're two-point favourites over the Chiefs. It's like I understand. I understand that you. It's hard work to get to the Super Bowl, but when you've been favourites every week, you haven't exactly been the underdog. And I just I thought that was a little bit irritating on their part. But I think, I think, whatever. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and their DC, whose name has just gone out of my head and all I can think of is Straticella Ice Cream. Steve, no, but, Steve Spagnola. There you go. Although I quite like Straticella. Anyway, I think what they've done to get here with not the best team, I just feel as if you can't write... I just feel as if everybody's written them off against the Foot Niners team that is complete everywhere. And I, I just don't think you can write them off. No. Well, I mean, who do you think is going to win?
2: Um, I, I think the Chiefs are going to win. Yes, all aboard, I, let's go. I, th- I think the Chiefs are going to win. And I just simply think, because I wrote them off uh, against the Bills. And then I wrote them off against the Ravens.
3: <laughs> Although... Although does that mean on sort of reverse psychology double bluff technology? That's a t-shirt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this t-shirt has been made with double bluff technology. <laughs> <laughs> that is a label. If we ever get to making our own labels, it's going to have double bluff technology on the label. Um, do you not think now you need to almost write them off, but no they're going to win? No. Um, okay.
2: No, not at all. It's, I don't really. I don't really do that. Um, no I I think I think for all the reasons you said I, I I just think they're probably the better coached team. And I I I can't get the game 4 years ago out of my head where the 49ers were winning and then absolutely just fell apart and I think it says something that the Chiefs have been here so regularly, you know, 4 and hmm. 5 years and the only one yeah, you know, they they won two, lost one. The one that they lost had a whole array of circumstances that you can't legislate for. You're dealing with COVID, you're playing a team in their own stadium in the Super Bowl, which had never happened before, and then Andy Reid's son um got into an accident and killed somebody on the week of the game. Mm. Like all of those things and then both the, both like their senior offensive linemen went down. So a lot of things in that Super Bowl against Tampa, you know, I'm not taking anything away against Tampa, but my point is like yes, they didn't perform in that Super Bowl, but there's a lot of reasons why that, that happened, and if you dissect it from the Chiefs side, it makes sense. All things being equal, the other two Super Bowls, they were superb. They coached brilliantly they executed in big plays at big times they controlled the key moments of the game down the stretch and i just think that i will always go with the team who i think are the better coached because i think you know what you're going to get whereas the team of and i don't want to say individuals because they're a team you don't get this far without them being good but they they've got a wider degree of variance for me Mm. they can be phenomenal like if you sat there and said both teams will put their best effort on the field i'd pick the 49ers but i think the 49ers have a wider degree of variance and i think we've seen that wider degree of variance this season whereas i think the chiefs haven't been great but been coached so so well and i think they've come over more adversity and i think they you know i just think that they're the, the team that are in the right position to win. And they've got the momentum. They've overcome some big, big wins. They've done it on the road. Um, you know, they haven't had it easy. Didn't do the bye. You know, to to knock off the Bills you know, in Buffalo in the cold, in the weather extreme, and then to to knock off the Ravens. You're not yeah. getting harder runs than that. No. And and, that, and, and and that, but on the flip side, that could kill them. That could have been like, well, they've expended all that energy to get there, but I don't think so.
3: Yeah, I think for me, the fact like you said, they've already been in a situation which gave us that great meme of Kelsey and Mahomes at halftime saying, "Right, they've got twenty-seven points or whatever it is. Let's go play some football and then come back and win in that situation." And then they've also got that win over the Niners in the Super Bowl where they came back. It wasn't as if they had a close win in the, against the Niners. They've got that even bigger morale win on their part where they came back against the Niners and won. Well, the other thing on this
2: is I think the 49ers in the playoffs have been poor. They're a field goal away against the, the Packers from going overtime, maybe losing the game. Yep. The Lions completely, completely capitulated.
3: Up 17. Oh, if that's the Chiefs in that situation, Patrick Mahomes puts the sword to the head and it's gone.
2: Yeah, it doesn't happen. And that and that's what I mean. The 49ers, you know, this against all odds, they've locked it for me. I don't think they've been the best team on the NFC side on over the last few weeks. I don't think they've been that good. I think and I think if they play like that against the Chiefs, it's not gonna happen for them. They have to go for a radical reset. And I think that, again, I'm looking at form. When you're coming into this, it's always there's a team carrying momentum. And for me, all the momentum is with Mahomes and the Chiefs. All of it is there. They've overcome big games. They've had to do some extraordinary things. And they've won in different ways. You know, They've had to be offensively very good, like against the Bills. And then when their offense absolutely were awful and let's not take anything away. Mahomes and company couldn't move that ball for love nor money. Defensively, they completely annihilated the Ravens. Mm. And when you've got those different ways of winning, yeah, I, I can't go against the Chiefs. I just can't I can't I can't see a I, I mean the only way I see the 49ers winning is if they if they absolutely all of them turn up and play their game. And if that happens then they will win. I just can't say it. Hmm.
3: Yeah. I I, I want the Chiefs to win because I want to be watching the NFL because obviously when Brady won his first couple, I wasn't really watching the NFL. Whereas now I watch the NFL and I want Mahomes to do. He's not going to do what Brady... Well, I can't say he's not going to, but we're in the midst of Mahomes having this dynasty and we get to see the start of it. And now we're in the potential middle of it. And it's... Yeah. I would rather see that than the Niners, although the Niners basically are the Broncos winning team when Shanahan's dad was in charge of the mm-hmm. Broncos because their quarterback is now the quarterback's coach at the Niners. Christian McCaffrey's dad played by receiver for the Broncos, and he's now in a Super Bowl. I saw a cool picture of McCaffrey running around the Super Bowl pitch when the Broncos won. There's a little boy in his dad's jersey, and there's just glitter everywhere. And And then there's another one as well, I think. Well, maybe the offensive coach is a coach somewhere else for the Broncos at the time
2: John Lynch, the GM he played for the Broncos
3: he did, ball number 47, that was my first jersey um, no it wasn't him, that wasn't the fourth one there's like a coach or someone that was on the Broncos at the time and is now part of the Niner staff but yeah I just think the Chiefs are too good all around to, to not win Yeah, I'm with you Super Duper anything else Murph
2: uh, don't think so. I think um, I think we we've talked about the t-shirts. They'll be out soon at some point for the winners of of leagues. Um, I think that's it. I think uh, it's the last time we'll pod without a game to look forward to in eight months. We'll have a less- season.
3: We'll have a whole season to look forward to, man, if not just a game. Yeah. So, I mean, we're at a game
2: in the imminent, like, f- forward-facing seven months. But yeah. we'll see what happens. We're going to make the most of it. Um, ladies, enjoy your support, It's going to be great. I can't wait. Yes, sir. Yeah. you doing anything good for it? No, I'm sleeping, and then I'm uh, watching it in the morning at
3: 4.30. Oh, hi, puppy. I said that's early. It's not too far off when I normally get up, but hey, <laughs> well like Murph said everybody do enjoy Super Bowls I hope there's some parties to be enjoyed and let's just hope it's a good game because when it's not a good game people get really antsy and we take some flack for some reason and hey we don't want that to happen Rush Nation until after the Super Bowl as always don't forget keep rushing